Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Well, I will tell you, well, you already know this, but I have been telling everybody I encounter that if you have Hulu, And even if you don't, you can get it for a week for free. That's right. (laughs) I want you to watch a program called In and of Itself. I will put a link in the blurb about the podcast. And I'm so glad that I finally watched it because you had definitely been saying that to me for a couple of days. It was... It was everything it was beautiful it was touching it was magical um it was mysterious it it was good so uh let me tell you how i got to it and then let's talk a little bit about it because we Mm -hmm. both have been moved by it and um you know we we have in uh ordinary life a real live professional magician someone besides you yeah, somebody besides me. <laughs> well, I'm card carrying, but I don't make a living doing that. Right. It's a living doing that. And, and Scott Wells sent me an email about the, as in and of itself. And he kind of described a little bit of it and said, I, I really think you should watch this. Mm. But I'd already seen it by the time I got the uh, email from him. What happened was that I don't watch much commercial television whatsoever. I mean, I don't watch the news or whatever, but I do have a couple of shows that I record and watch later. And one of them is Stephen Colbert. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Colbert had the star of this one man Broadway show and the director movie maker on his show one night discussing this Broadway show that ran on Broadway for over 550 times. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't see how the star did it that often. But anyway, Stephen Gilbert said that he and his wife, Evie, went to see it, and I'm sure they saw it more than once. Mm-hmm. And they said that it deserves such a wide audience that they wanted to produce a movie about it. And mm-hmm. so the Colberts were the producers and i not only think stephen colbert is a funny guy i also think he's a really good human being and yeah. you know all of that i like his, his stuff mm-hmm. so we watched that interview with him and i said i you know we've got hulu we never watch it let's watch this show the next night so the next night we did we both ended up in tears and moved and awestruck and wow yeah. So many levels. So many so levels. So many levels. I think what we could talk about without giving the meat of it away, and there's not even really anything to give away because the experience is so, it's so experiential. So you and I could sit here and narrate every minute of it, and the experience would not be felt because of how wondrous it was. But the two things I came away with 
more than two, but the two things that are on my mind right now um, is of course, identity, Mm -hmm. the identity of being known that we are all more than one thing. It's a little bit about what, what we talked about, what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks is like, what is the essence of the true self? And um, this man plays the role of, I think it was you that said this to me once that a really good therapist hands a person back to themselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was you, maybe it was some other brilliant person I know. <laughs> um, but that's the work that he does is he hands the audience back to themselves mm-hmm. in a sense. And the other word that is in my mind is continuation. The story doesn't end. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he named people in the beginning of the, the play, tomorrow and yesterday. Yes, Miss Yesterday, Mr. Tomorrow. <laughs> um, I, I just loved that, that someone in the audience, by removing themselves before the end of the show, continued the narrative into the next night. And so there's this thread, this, um, this is how I often picture that sort of nebulous, numinous, long arc of history is as a thread, Mm -hmm. right? And each of us sort of take a piece of that thread. Mm -hmm. And so the person who leaves the audience and then comes back the next night is the thread, the link Mm -hmm. between yesterday and today. I hadn't thought about that. That's beautiful. One of the, one of the most powerful things for me, but it was also powerful. I I, I can't but one of the really powerful things for me that that I got was his telling of the elephant story yes and I knew that would appeal to you because you love elephants yeah but you know I've known that story I've told that story a Mm -hmm. dozen times in my teaching career everybody knows that story well why don't you tell it actually because I'm I'm gonna assume that maybe not everybody does know it we have heard you tell it several times but we can tell it briefly here well, the elephant story, and it's got many different versions, is about mm-hmm. these six blind men mm-hmm. who are walking through the jungle and how they know, uh, maybe they bump into this creature, I don't know, and they begin to feel, and they're blind, and one of them feels the, the trunk of the elephant and mm-hmm. says, uh, this elephant is like a, a snake. One feels the tail and says, this elephant is like a rope. One feels the leg and says, this elephant is like a tree. One feels the side and says, this elephant feels like a wall. Um, Except they never named it elephant. No, no, they never named it elephant. I'm I'm doing that. And and one feels the ear and says, no, this is a big leafy plant. Mm -hmm. And I think that's only five, but never ever 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 has anybody ever pointed out that what the elephant thought right (laughs) yeah and i loved that he took that perspective yeah what did the elephant think of itself and was it reduced from a magical creature to something so benign as an elephant really is a magical creature that is all these things at once you know yeah yeah 
Yes. And that was, uh, I mean, that part was so stunning. And I think that this is, um, this is where we can sort of pause and talk about identity for a minute is, um, you know, our identity is no more, no less than who we are in God says, so says the the scripture. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we, I love that one of my favorite verses in the Bible is we live and move and have our being in God. Mm -hmm. Now, how I perceive God is not as a being, but as the sum of all parts Mm -hmm. is that I have a very kind of gestalt idea of God, I think, and a very cosmic idea of God. And, it is so that I live and move and have my being in that all the time. So identity is so often handed to us by our parents, by our surroundings. You will be this. You are this. I am positive I've done it to my kids. You are so difficult. You are so funny. You know, just how how, what the words I say to my kids, they begin to believe about themselves and that becomes their identity. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get stuck in one, one place. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when I was about 30, um, I had played soccer for about 20 years by that time. And I loved playing soccer. I, it was like freedom and fun and hard work and team all rolled into one. And I felt strong and, Um, I tore my ACL and I couldn't play soccer. And I, I had, it was silly to say, but I had an identity crisis because I thought of myself as a soccer player and that, that part of me was stripped away and I never went back to it. Really. I went back sort of for a few years, but my knee was a little too weak and I didn't want to, I didn't, I did, I had kind of factored, I'm, I'm too old to like give all of this, give all of this energy to it still. Mm-hmm. I got married, I had kids, all the things that took over soccer, but that when the things that were handed about our identity and when they fall away, it's a, it's a true crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it points at what, who are we when all of those things, all of those external descriptions about ourselves, sometimes handed to us, sometimes earned, who are we when all of that falls away? So uh, think, think about how we deal with each other in social interaction when we meet somebody for a first time. Mm-hmm. What do you do? What do you do? What do you <laughs> exactly. Do? Where'd you go to school? Yeah. Where'd you grow up? And uh-huh. these define us. Mm-hmm. Now, I have one of my very 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 best friends who died last year yes yeah the guy that you've heard me talk about saying that he wouldn't tolerate any any Mm -hmm. conversation that didn't come from the heart if if somebody met donald for the first time and they said uh what do you do he would say about what (laughs) it's a great answer or he would say why does that matter right yeah and you know, he he lived with this playful, curious mind because he was told at 13, you'll be dead by the time you're 30. Mm, he lived, he wasn't. Uh, no, yeah. he lived uh, in his 80s because yeah. he really, he took care of himself and he engaged in these playful, wonderful, wonderful stories mm-hmm. and, and, and conversations with people. But that's what he did. He mm-hmm. did with his life what this guy did on stage. And I think that was one of the meanings of the play is um, don't stay in your box. 
Right. Yeah. But the word that you picked off the wall about yourself is not, is not the only thing that you are. So did Josh watch it? He did. And he loved it also. Okay. Yeah. I have a story. Actually, you reminded me of something. Um, when I was engaged to Josh, maybe we had just married. I don't know. Um, an, an old childhood friend of mine had a baby and I was invited to her, uh, that baby shower. And she, while we grew up in sort of similar economic circumstances, um, her parents were very much in the social scene. She was a debutante. She um, did the whole sort of Southern traditional coming out. Um, she, her, her, her parents were very well healed, you might say, and her family and friends friends of the family were as well. So the woman who threw, threw her a baby shower when I came to the door, she said, this is about how, how our identity kind of precedes us or how sometimes people want to know who we are and what we do. She said, oh, it's so nice to meet you. Are you married? <laughs> and I said, I, I've just gotten married um, six months ago. And she said, oh, to whom? And I said, um, to Josh Hudley. And she said, who are his people? And I said, you don't know his people. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, and I just kind of walked off, but it was so, I have, I think part of the reason that I've never forgotten that is because part of me was a little bit like, instead, why, why are you asking me who his people are? Um, mm -hmm. You know, my husband came, he's from New Orleans. He grew up uh, much poorer than I did, was not in society at all and is black. And this woman very well-off white woman probably never would have interacted with Josh or his family in mm -hmm. her life. Right. And, but just that sort of who are his people that who his people are should define me or define my marriage. Right. And it's, it's just, um, we so want to understand people, you know, and so we try to make that sort of the quickest way between two points is a straight line. We always try to make a straight line to understand people and we're so often wrong, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? You know, I, uh, I had an experience a couple of years ago when we went on a pilgrimage in Italy. We went to uh, town and on Sunday we went to a church, Catholic church, of course, mm -hmm. for mass and there was a baptism and the priest, and you could tell that the people in this church absolutely adored this priest. Mm. And uh, under his alb is what he was wearing. Um, he had on sandals. He had mm -hmm. long hair. He was hippie type, older hippie type. But mm -hmm. he loved what he did, and, and he loved the people loved him. You could just tell that. And I wish that I had had the language skills or he had that we could have sat down and had a conversation about his understanding of what he was doing and who he was in that context. And I would like to have kind of shared that myself to see. And I had that image come back to mind after watching this program because I wanted to I wanted to have a conversation with the people in the audience about mm -hmm. what was that like for you did you regret taking the card that you took mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Or, uh, if you could go back and do it again, would you mm-hmm. pick something else? Because when he, you know, he, he, and it's not giving any way, anything away to say this. He asked mm-hmm. people to take a card that has one word on them that they say says more about them than anything else. Right. Yeah. And you recall that, you know, he asks at that moment in his show, if you took this exercise seriously and really tried to pick that word stand up. So there were some people who didn't stand up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, who just maybe picked something frivolous and fun, which is also a beautiful part of our identity that we can be frivolous and fun at times and not have to always take ourselves so seriously. But the ability, what he did in that moment, that was magical. Mm -hmm. And that is where I say he handed people's identity back to them. And that was the work of the, of the magician. And I think I texted you last night after I watched it, that his magic was in his, his empathy and in his humanity. And if you've just joined us, the, yeah. the movie is called In and of Itself. And you will, <laughs> not, you will not regret watching it. No, gosh. I actually, so I, I think I've told you this. I do some work with Iconoclast um, oh, yeah. that Matt Russell and Marlon Lasama run. And um, I, I, I train teachers and I work with the Iconoclast fellows to help them adapt to better, to teaching skills. And today I said, um, for my part of our meeting, I said, okay, I'm going to get everyone homework. <laughs> I said, your homework is to watch this show in and of itself. And if you don't have Hulu, you can borrow my account because <laughs> it is so worth it or get the free for a week. It is so worth it. Um, I, I sent a text to Matt as soon as I saw it and said, you yeah. got to see this. Yeah, I hope he did. Do you know if he watched it? No, no. Matt Russell, if you're listening, we're wondering what you thought. <laughs> um, he wasn't in our meeting, so maybe I'll make that. I'll, t- I'll, I'll, I'll second that notion and say this is this is your homework from two people who love you. <laughs> so you know, in the in the arena of synchronicity, mm-hmm. you know this, but others may not. I started um, on the faculty of clergy at St. Paul's, who are doing a study of the Book of Ecclesiastes on Wednesday mm-hmm. nights, mm-hmm. and um, What is it when you full do? You know, in the interest of full disclosure, <laughs> it's been years since I've sat down and read the book of Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I did. It's a short book. You can read it very quickly, get a good translation, uh, or read Peterson and, mm-hmm. and read it. Um, and in, in tandem to that, I decided that I would do my annual rereading of Jim Hollis's book, Living and Examine right. Life. Mm-hmm. They both are the same thing, both about the same thing. Yeah. And I think this movie was an invitation to examine your life. Mm-hmm. And this clever magician, actor, whatever, shaman, whatever he was, mm-hmm. used his magic to get people to drop their guard. Yeah. Go, oh, oh, wow. And then he would just move in with something that was mind boggling. Yeah. And that he also was so vulnerable himself in, in the in the telling of stories and the way he wove um, sort of uh, 
intercultural stories, like the story of the elephant with personal narrative. Um, the story of his mother. The story of his mother, who we saw in the crowd. <laughs> and that was so beautiful. Um, By the I way, think, did, did yeah. you get it that Bill Gates is in the crowd? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Um, and, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about was to have been in the audience and to have witnessed something like that, to be a live audience member, um, that that entire space must have been captivated by, um, by vulnerability and um, a certain kind of raw emotion. Mm -hmm. There were so many people that when the camera would pan around who were just weeping and um, you know, shuddering even with, 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 with tears. Mm -hmm. And I think that what must that experience also be like to mm -hmm. be in that container, a, a sort of dark theater womb-like space, and then to walk back out into the world. And immediately when we walk back into the world after vulnerable moments like that, we put back on our guard. Mm -hmm. You know, we put back on these pieces of our identity that keep us safe. Mm -hmm. And it's because we can't always be raw and open. But how do we live in that in-between, right? In that in-between, this kind of um, spaciousness of letting ourselves go and also being cautious or boundaried enough to keep ourselves safe. Mm -hmm. Is that a counterphobic six question or what? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad you saw it. Yeah. Yeah, it was beautiful. It really was. Thanks for the recommendation. That it's I, the other part that I love, and we can sort of um, uh, veer off from here if we want to. But is 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 this idea of continuation? You know, we're not. Um, I think it was David Abram who wrote, "We are not just contained in our body, but we're main. We're made of." bodies that came before us, animals that came before us, plants that came before us. And then as we evolve, we contribute aspects of ourself to future generations. That's also a very Native American mm -hmm. um, indigenous worldview. But the idea of continuation that we really literally are all in some ways um, connected. It's a very wide circle. <laughs> But we are all in some way connected. And, you know, we we live in a culture in a country right now where there is such a resistance to that notion. Right. I know that um, you have watched now the TED Talk about right. the live yeah. racism. And thank you, Stephanie Orfield, for sending yeah. that to us. Yeah. Um, again, the whole idea of where our identity comes from, you know, we get it, we get an identity in the tribe, the family, if you want to, the, into which we're born, and mm -hmm. it extends to be the community or the, the, the racial, educational, religious tribe and the rules of that tribe. And we want to fit in, we need to for our survival. And to, we need to, to receive the affection and attention and, and appreciation that comes from doing good and playing by the rules and being one of the tribe. But if we don't ever grow out of that 
and and realize that that's not who we are mm -hmm. then we cause ourselves and other people an incredible amount of pain yeah gosh um you know in in buddhism the no self the sense the the concept of no self right mm -hmm. non-being if you will um that everything actually is no thing <laughs> is a very strong concept in Buddhism. And that is where sort of spiritual liberation comes from is to, to know that we are no thing. Mm -hmm. And yet I, and, and, and I struggled with that when I first learned that concept of Buddhism and what I came to understand that was that and becoming no thing, um, we are liberated to become part of all things. And that is the gift I think of, of Buddhism. But I think we're so terrified of rendering ourselves into no thing because, because what that, what that does is it, is it casts us out. We become a nobody, we become non-being, right? Mm -hmm. But in, in liberation philosophy, I've met, mentioned that I'm reading a book on it um, a lot the last couple of weeks is it says that freedom is found in that non-being because we're not bound by the social structures. We're not bound by the kind of tribe, if you will. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, I come back with the same question. It's like, we need both, you know, we, we feel held in our tribes, we feel held in our families or some of us do. And, um, and we feel, we, we, we gather community around us because we don't like to be no thing. We don't like to be non-being. So I think in, in American culture, it's so much about, well, another Buddhist tenet that I really like is attachment versus commitment. Attachment is when we cling to those pieces of our identity. And, and that is, we, we're married to an outcome. And commitment is kind of more like being in the river, kind of saying, oh, I'm committed to this process. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where it will land. I'm open to who comes my way. And um, Maybe that's that sweet spot, you know, because well, I, I, I really, yeah. I would, I would modify that a little bit or have another take on it. And that is that attachments are inevitable and so mm -hmm. are separations. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, and they're both, they're both important. The problem comes when we try to cling to yeah. instead of releasing. I think one of the most important books that I have ever read in this particular arena is a book whose title is Being Nobody, Going Nowhere. Yeah. I haven't read it. I have had it in my iBooks for quite some time, actually. Maybe a good time to return to that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't return to some place you've never been. <laughs> also true. Well, I bought it once. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and and then there's no return if we are nowhere if we are nobody going nowhere so mm -hmm. here we are <laughs> yeah 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 i read uh, a poem yeah go ahead go ahead i love your points mm, i read a poem this is also a lovely synchronicity um either just before well i reread it today but i read it i read this poem maybe the day the morning i watched um in and of itself and this is how it goes. It's a poem by Ada Limon in her book, The Carrying. A name. When Eve walked among the animals and named them, nightingale, red-shouldered hawk, 
fiddler crab, fallow deer. I wonder if she ever wanted them to speak back, looked into their wide, wonderful eyes and whispered, name me, name me. Mm. So there is that part of us that just so longs to be named and known too. I think that's a universal human need, mm -hmm. the need to be known or mm -hmm. seen. So um, if I were to ask you, who are you? And you were to say, why is that important? Mm -hmm. My answer would be hearing who you think you are is important for my ability to relate to you. Who do you say that you are, Bill? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, um, I, I am a child of evolutionary cosmology. Mm. And so are you, which makes us kin. Yeah, true. God, I wish we could arrive there as a species, you know? I mean, just just in watching that, um, the live racism um, in the midst of reading some of Ibram Kendi's works, Stamped from the beginning, um, and I'm actually reading the kid version of Stamped, which is great, mm. um, is, you know, we, we made up ways to divide ourselves, to separate ourselves. We also made up ways to unite ourselves. I think religion has both possibilities. Mm -hmm. Our religious rituals do both. They both mm -hmm. divide us and unite us. I, yeah, we're just, it's so complex to me. <laughs> there, there is an editorial piece in the most recent issue of the Christian Century about American exceptionalism. And mm -hmm. I love the guy who writes those pieces. They're they're short, one one page, tightly reasoned, tightly written pieces. And he said something in there that that I've known all my life, but I never really knew until the way he put it today. He said, you know, even when the colonists came to this country, they wanted to establish themselves as superior and exceptional. And they said that what they were creating would be the new England. So I've heard New England all my life, New England, New England, New England. But mm -hmm. I didn't I never made that association that this was going to be the new England. Mm -hmm. The Isn't better that funny new. how yeah, yeah. How you, when you read things, you just you it, there's a point where you go, Oh my gosh, I, it's kind of like the elephant story. Oh, I've never I've never read seen it that it. way. Yeah. 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 That way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, you can't really make something new that is not actually new. You know, that in other words, our country was a continuation of the colonization that was already happening in England mm -hmm. and all over the world. And, you know, for a while, America was another England, English colony. <laughs> so it's, um, I think that this kind of, I, again, that brings up the idea of continuation. 
and, and this was my favorite line from the inaugural poet who read at the, uh, at the Biden-Harris inauguration um, was, maybe America is not broken after all, but simply unfinished. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. I mean, that's so true. That's why we, in part, call this podcast in between. That's why you have named your series for the last couple of years between the no longer and the not yet, mm -hmm. because we're unfinished. So I want to tell you that I have been thinking about uh, a title for Sunday. Mm -hmm. And um, see what you think of this. Spirituality as honestly and simply as we can manage. I like it. I like it. I leave the titles completely to you unless I get a stroke of brilliance. <laughs> well, it's not entirely original with me. I took it from reading Eugene Peterson's translation of the passage that we're going to slog our way through on Sunday yeah. because it's about prayer. Yeah. I keep thinking of the John Bon Jovi song in my head. Oh, we're halfway there. Oh, living on a prayer. I think you're too old to know that song. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were implying we're halfway through. Yeah. Sermon on the Mount. I think we're more than that. But um, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what I thought about doing Sunday? What's that? Is not writing anything. And just and praying coming, the whole time. And, and, and no, I, but coming with some of my favorite per, written prayers by other people. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can talk more about this offline, but I don't think that's a bad idea. There are so many wonderful prayers from so many different faiths. For me, poetry is a major way. Yeah, of, I've got a Billy Collins poem that I could do. Neil Klotz, um, Neil Klotz's work in the Jesus Prayer. You know his work in Aramaic? I don't think I know that. His... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, yes, you right. have yeah. used it before. Yeah. Yeah. And we, yeah. we will probably get to that the next week when we actually yes. do step into uh, Matthew's rendition of, yeah. of the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. But uh, Nadia Bose Weber, whom we're in negotiation with right now to mm -hmm. see if she can come to Houston, mm -hmm. looks like it's a maybe... Great. Yeah. I mean, fingers crossed. It's looking positive. <laughs> yeah. Um, she wrote a great prayer that was in. I know you get the corners, so you saw her prayer Sunday. I could read that one and yeah. uh, Thomas Merton's prayer. A bunch of others that I think are. Yeah. And and it would be a chance also to um, kind of take a breath and look at what we've covered so far and right. ask each other questions and. Yeah. That's Talk about those prayers as we go a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And and we could also talk more uh, Sunday. I don't know that I will watch the the movie again before Sunday. I may. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to watch it again. Yeah. Oh, I think I will too. I think I probably missed a few little things. Um, and I wonder if when I watch it a second time, if I will cry again. I mean, I was weeping and it, it, it was a release actually to weep mm -hmm. for such a, for such a beautiful purpose. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I wanted to, 
I, I, I got, when I finished the movie, I got off and um, Googled lot, I Googled him and Googled information about him. What'd you find out? Well, I, I actually ended up going down a rabbit hole of articles written about him and interviews written about him. I, like I Googled, um, uh, David, uh, What's his last name? Delacchio or something like that. Yeah, Del, Gla- Del Gladio. Mm-hmm. Del Gladio. Um, I Googled David Del Gladio, spiritual practice, but I, <laughs> nothing came up. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I couldn't help but think, gosh, he must have some way of, of connecting with that empathetic part of himself um, that involves ritual. But I, I read an article by a woman who, she was a self-described kind of, um, I like to know what's coming. I, I want to understand things. When I've been to magic shows before, I want to figure out exactly how it's done. But she said, but with this, I was okay with the mystery. I was so okay with not knowing how things were done because the experience was what was was what the magic was. Well, uh, and uh, I thought that was so perfectly put. Clearly, he is an outstanding magician. Yeah. Does he have yeah. a past doing this professionally? Does it say that? Yeah, he studied. Um, he he went down the road of studying and, and learning from some of the greats, like the David Copperfields and um, uh, you know magicians' names better than I do. But mm-hmm. he he really um, honed in on some of these really gifted <laughs> sleight of hand mm-hmm. <laughs> folks who wow us with pretty amazing miracles, as you say. <laughs> so uh, I have, as you can imagine, had people who have seen this show contact mm-hmm. me and ask me, how did he do those things? I bet. I would not call them tricks. Mm-hmm. They were beyond that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I will a- I will answer the question this way. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, that's the first effect that I can remember. I don't yeah. know. The second one, which is a series of the way he did cards, mm-hmm. I do know, mm-hmm. but it would take years, years of practice. To I be think he to, said that he said eight years. He, it would take years to do what he did, but yeah. the way he did it was absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. 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 The third one, but, yeah. I don't have a clue, and it blew me oh, absolutely away. The oh, cards around the, the mm-hmm. yeah, the brick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the le- uh, the letters, I have an idea, but I'm not sure. And the last thing, I just sat there. And this is what was going through my mind while he was doing that. When he, you know, after he said, okay, if you didn't take this seriously, Uh would you please sit down? Yeah. Now the rest of you uh, stand who did take it seriously. And he started looking at them and speaking to them. And I kept saying to myself, is he really doing this? Yeah. Is he he doing what I'm thinking he's doing? Uh And then it Uh was, how the hell is he doing that? Yeah. How in the world? Oh my God. Yeah. That and so I loved that that so so we had those amazing um, performances by him, right? These sort of sleight of hand and um, these these magical events that he performs, but holistically from beginning to end, again the magic was we came in one way. We left another. Yeah.
Yeah. I hope yeah. people see it. I do too. I do too. That's a good place to end. Yeah. Go watch In and of Itself on Hulu. We'll link to it in the summary of this podcast and probably mention it over the next couple weeks too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye, bye folks. <laughs> see you later. Mm-hmm.